0: The following is a sermon from Pastor Timothy Borman and Sure Foundation, a church located in Woodside, Queens, New York, the world's most diverse community. For more information and for more audio content, go to sure-foundation.org. Lesson for this third Sunday after Epiphany, when we're really kind of considering our relationship with the Word of God and how it's received, whether it's rejected or accepted, and even loved. It's found in, in Psalm 19, and there's definitely a rich connection with that theme. And I want to read it with you now. It It's on page 11 in your bulletins, and it goes on to page 12 then. And if you're at home, you're going to want to have your Bibles open. And we're going to consider in um, really this whole psalm just a little bit at a time. And it is it is so powerful. C.S. Lewis actually said about this psalm that, that it is the most noble and powerful psalm in the whole Psalter. And we can see if, if you come to the same conclusion here after hearing what our psalmist has. So this is Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of His hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the ends of the earth. In the heavens, God has pitched a tent groom going out of his chamber like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of its wealth, warmth. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant But who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord my rock, and my redeemer. This is the word of the Lord. In the fall, this was the headline. For teen girls, Instagram is a cesspool. A stinky cesspool. That's how one opinion writer put it. And she didn't even have to work hard to to defend her opinion of Facebook's Instagram. Actually, they renamed it Meta Now. Facebook's own research said this about Instagram. And this was the quote that literally went wild and viral. 32% 32% of teen girls said that when, that when they felt bad about their bodies, Instagram made them feel worse. A cesspool. And then the opinion writer went on to point out that this is kind of how it works, that, that a girl who's already sort of thinking about her body image goes on Instagram, and then she follows a page something like, eternally starved, or I have to be thin, or I want to be perfect, and then things begin to spiral from there. And they take their cues from these really kind of sick Instagram pages, and the heart is filled with with all kinds of thoughts, and it becomes this absolute cesspool. A stinky mess. But it Really doesn't stop there. I mean, it's a problem for adults too. Don't you agree? Like, for middle-aged people, it's Facebook, and Facebook's a stinky party potty for many of us, isn't it? And then for maybe a little older people, it's the cable news, whether right or left, and that's a stinky armpit. And it's not even just—it's not even just like our means of communication, but. It's more than that. It's the things that we're always thinking about. And it's, it's, it's as if, and I don't want to be too harsh here. So I'll say it softly. It's as if we want to do the backstroke in manure for our hearts. Why is that? What? Why are we so attracted to cesspools? Why is our, the meditation of our heart always, why do we got to, Always be thinking about those things. You know, I'm I'm not here this morning to to be judgmental or to get preachy or anything like that. Trust me, I struggle with the same things. But but I am here this morning to give to you through the word of God a new vision, a radical one about what a heart's meditation. Can look like, and and unlike Instagram, it, it's not going to lead you to like a bad body image. It's going to renew your heart. That's what the Psalm says, and and unlike Facebook or or, or the media that just kind of leaves us depressed or angry or fearful or what you know, all of those different things. This is going to be a meditation of the heart that that renews us from the inside out. That's what the psalmist wants to give to us this morning, a good, right, and noble way of thinking about our life. And it's a new vision. It's a a new vision for how this Christian meditation takes place. It's It's a new vision for how powerful Christian meditation can be. It's a new vision of who our God is. And Psalm 19 is unique in that way because it gives us exactly what we need. And Psalm 19, you might say, moves in three directions, this new and radical meditation of the heart. It moves upward. Look at that. It moves outward, and it moves also, finally, inward. So let's just start with what the psalmist says about a meditation of the heart that that moves upward. He spends the whole first part of the psalm, if you're looking at it with me now, thinking upward thoughts. He, he's, he's looking at the skies. He, he's looking at the sun itself. And instead of mentioning things that he sees, he kind of defamiliarizes us and surprises us a little bit. And he, and he says that, that the skies are awfully chatty. You see that? Like, they just can't shut up. Like, they're declaring, there's words pouring forth, they, they are preaching, they, they are saying glory to God. And and it's joyful too, it's joyful too. Like he looks at the sun and he says, "This the sun, is is this chatty bridegroom who is about to go and see his beautiful bride." The sun, he says, is like this champion who's he's going out to run his marathon every single day, and he just loves doing it. He is so joyful and and really. The sun is chatty in two ways. First, the sun says something like this. God, I love you. And I am happy to do your will every single day. I'm going to do what you ordain me to do, and I'm going to run my race across the sky. Because you're good and you made me. But not just that. The sun is also giving a testimony of sorts. The sun is saying, for all of you who can see me, you have to know something about my creator. He is good. And he is kind. And he's so good and kind that he hung me in the sky to keep you warm. And there's no place on earth where my warm rays will not reach. That is how good my creator is. This this is the testimony that the psalmist wants you to hear. He wants you to open up your heart and get sensitive to it. Now, what happened that we can no longer hear the preaching of God's creation? What happened? The psalmist, like everywhere he goes, he is hearing the sun's chattiness. But now today it it kind of seems like the sun's gone silent. Or maybe we've gone deaf. Have we gone deaf? Everything's explained and mechanized, and it's scientific, and it's like this the sun's a gaseous ball in the sky, and we, we can just understand it that way. But would we do that with anything else in our life like that? You consider this. What if you saw in the street an autonomous vehicle, and every single day it goes by at the same time, it never misses a beat, it knows exactly where it's going, it never gets in an accident. What are some of the things that you would think about that car? That's a pretty cool car. But eventually, I think your mind would begin to ask the question, who made that thing? Why don't we do that with the sun? Or maybe think about it like this. Like think about the sun like you would think about an ancient ruin. Okay? Go to go to Machu Picchu or somewhere like that for just a minute and you you look at this artifact that was made so long ago and you think about the people who made it. Wow, look at this technology that they had. They so intelligent. How much more the sun? Don't you think? Like, think about the sun just as an artifact. Who put that there? This powerful thing that is just perfectly placed to give us everything that we need for our lives. You see what I'm trying to do? I'm trying to turn up the volume. So that you can hear the sun begin to preach again. God is good. God is great. And if He can hang that in the sky and it works perfectly for for these thousands and thousands of years, who must He be? Glory, you might say. That's the psalmist's first meditation. It's a great one. We could stay on that one all day. I really, think it's an upward meditation. But then suddenly the psalmist is very abrupt in the psalm, and he begins a, a wholly different meditation. For him, it, it's really tracking along the same lines, but it is abrupt and to us, and it, and it seems very different because all of a sudden he's doing what what we might call an outward meditation on the word of God. And this is where I just want to slow down with you for a second. I want to get really quiet, and I just I just in in a sense I just want you to think about what he says about the Word of God. Just look at this. Look at this. Look at what it says in verse 7. This is his meditation. We're going to just go, like, phrase by phrase. The law of the Lord is perfect. Perfect. This means it doesn't lack anything. There's nothing wrong with it, nothing at all. It, it gives us everything that we need. It is all sufficient. The law of the Lord, the word of God, the Torah is perfect. Whoa. <laughs> Look what it says next refreshing the soul. Isn't that what we need? Like to, to for the word of God, something, something that, that would come from the inside out and give us true life. The word of the Lord is perfect. Renewing the soul. Let's keep going. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy. So in a world where you don't know what's true and what's false and you don't know really where to base your life, where to go, how to be guided, the word of the Lord is trustworthy. He says, making wise the simple. So people who are easily confused and befuddled and wondering, you know, what is wisdom? The word of the Lord gives us what we need. Let's just do one more. The precepts of the Lord are right. Not wrong. Right. Giving joy to the heart. Not sadness, not fear. Confusion. Joy. We could keep going, but, but when the psalmist concludes with this meditation on what the gift of the word of God is to him, he says, you know, it makes no people, it makes no economic sense to ever miss time with God's word. Like he, he's saying, just one word from the Lord is more precious than much gold. Or we could say it like this, just just hearing the word of God for one Sunday is worth more than millions of dollars. Why would you ever want to miss out on that, the psalmist says. And then he takes it into the culinary world and he's like, this is a meal that is that is better than like the, the sweetest, most beautiful thing you can think of. And if you never miss a meal, why would you ever miss the word of God? I mean, what do we need to do? What does he need to do to convince you that a right meditation of the heart is on the word of God? What, 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 what do I have to do to convince you? Should we compare? Like we could we could do a comparison of the results of meditation on other things besides the word of God. We could we could do the most brutal one, like Instagram and how it. It, it, it's an absolute cesspool for the heart. Everybody says it. But then you compare that with the Word of God, and which one's going to be better for you? The one that's a cesspool or, or the one that, that renews your heart? Which one? Or should I convince you in this way? I could come at you really hard this morning. I, You know, David... He, he says at the end of the psalm, he says, May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing. So he's, he's thinking about the meditation of our hearts as if it were an offering to God. You see that? So that really our thoughts, our meditation, our self-talk, rises up to God like an offering. And so you can think about it this way, like when we're fearful and anxious and we're thinking about all the things of this world and all those things rise up to God, is that kind of like Cain's offering? I suppose I could be hard on you but what if what if I just did this to convince you that I just gave you the word and I just showed you that in the word of God we we have a rock we have a savior who has forgiven all of our sins who rose from the dead who who has promised that whatever comes, whatever comes, everything is according to His plan and His good purposes, and He is saving and He is redeeming. And whatever is going on in your life, he, He has His hand on it. And just by hearing that, isn't it true? Isn't it true that at least a little bit? Your heart's being renewed. And isn't that all the convincing thing? To see who your God is for you. I wonder the word's perfect. So this is a psalmist. He, he, he's looking upward and he finds a chatty creation. He looks outward and he finds a perfect word of God. And only then, this is so different than Eastern religions, other things. Only then does he move inward. And, and you know what he finds as he looks inward? Only weakness. He realizes, he realizes really that, that he's the one that needs the renewing of the heart. He's the one that's befuddled and confused. He's the one that, that needs the, re, the, the the revivification of the heart. He, that's him. In fact, he's absolutely convinced that He can't even see himself for who he is. He says, but who can discern their own errors? He's convinced that he's committed sins that he can't even see. And he's afraid in seeing his weakness that sin would overcome him. So he looks on the inside and that's all he sees is weakness. But more than that, he looks out and he ends his meditation and he sees God his rock, his his strong place, the one person that will never leave him and never forsake him, the one person who forgives all of his sins, the one person he can always look to, and he sees that his God is also a redeemer, the one who buys us back and sets us free. And I suppose that's where our meditation this morning has to end too. you would realize that when you look inside, you'll find only weakness. Because apart from God, what can we do? But with God, who are we? And of what will we be afraid of? And that's it. That's Psalm 19 in a nutshell. Upward, outward, and and inward. And the psalmist is convinced that, that when we hear the preaching of the sun and, and the skies and the glory, that we'll be encouraged, and that our hearts will be warm. But he's convinced that, that when we focus on this outward meditation on the word, that we'll encounter a perfect word and we'll be encouraged and, and renewed. And then finally, that when we would look inward, we only find weakness, and then we've been encouraged to look outward and find a God who's never failed us. This is David's meditation. Will you pray with me? Close the sermon out. God, may the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart Be truly pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen.